Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to our weekly happy hour today on Trending. It's so good to be with you. We are diving into a lot of really fascinating topics on the issue of happiness. We'll talk about impediments to happiness with licensed marriage and family therapist, Joe Sakura. You may know him from the Joe Sakura show, formerly here on the network. We're going to unpack those common impediments that people have. Are you struggling with happiness? What's impeding your happiness? Call in with your questions for licensed marriage and family therapist, Joe Sakura, or send them to me on social media. I put a po- post up. Just follow me at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, a fascinating trend among millennials with regard to, you may have heard this new phrase, quote, quiet quitting at work. What does this have to do with? Well, I'll unpack. It has a lot to do with work ethic and work-life balance, but I think it falls into the area of human happiness and identity as well. Also, today is the Feast of the Queenship of the Blessed Virgin Mary. We'll talk a little bit about Our Lady as Queen of Heaven of Earth and how we can take her as the Queen of our lives. Welcome to our weekly happy hour today on Trending. Joining me now is licensed marriage and family therapist Joe Sakura. Again, you may have known him from the Joe Sakura Show here in the evenings on Relevant Radio, and you can find him at callingsong.com. He's the author of the book Defying Gravity, How Choosing Joy Lifted My Family from Death to Life. He's here to talk to us about a growing trend among Gen Z with regard to the workforce. In fact, I want to play for you this little clip of a little bit of what quiet quitting is. Now, there's this... For a little bit of context, Gen Z actually entered into the workforce during COVID. Uh, Gen Z would be those who were born after from 1997 on. So they're about 23 years or sorry, 25 years old today. And this trend of quiet quitting is predominant among those millenn- not millennials, but Gen Z uh, on social media, especially TikTok, and it's trending with millions of views across the internet of talking about essentially work-life balance and finding happiness in the midst of it. So listen to this clip from a viral video that went viral on TikTok with millions of views within just a couple of weeks. And now has been shared, I want to say something around 50,000 times. And there are so many comments, even just the comments on this video, you can see people are really diving into this topic of work-life balance and work ethic as well. So listen to this. I recently learned about this term called quiet quitting, where you're not outright quitting your job, but you're quitting the idea of going above and beyond. You're still performing your duties, but you're no longer subscribing to the hustle culture mentality that work has to be your life. The reality is it's not, and your worth as a person is not defined by your labor. 
That's Zaid Khan, a 24-year-old engineer in New York. And notice something he said. He said, you're no longer subscribing to, quote, the hustle and bustle mentality that work has to be your life. To unpack this, joining me now is licensed marriage and family therapist, Joe Sakura. Joe, welcome back to Trending. Hey, Timory. It's so good to be with you. And this is a great topic. I, I love the whole idea, even the phrase quiet quitting. Uh, I tell you the truth, I had never heard that before, but I, but I like it. Finding that peace in our lives, how important is that? It's become so common that it's a feature now in an article. I was reading about it on the Wall Street Journal. And it's interesting because in some ways, I think one summary of it could be, among many others, is this kind of balance between being a yes man, overtime is everything, overly thinking about what your boss uh, thinks of you or meeting demands versus an attitude that has a little bit more so of a separation between work and life, even pursuing family interests, uh, and being able to set the two aside and trying to step away from some of the stress that work can cause for a lot of people. What are your thoughts on it when you kind of first hear this quiet quitting trend? I think it's awesome. I, I think, I mean, I have a lot of different thoughts, but I recall remembering my dad going to work early in the morning, coming home late at night and not being paid for it. And it, that was just kind of the generation. And you could say there were wonderful aspects of it as well. But I think that people are really trying to find that connection to what matters most. And if you think about it, what actually matters most? It is our connection with our family, with our friends, the relationships, because when we talk about happiness, that's where the happiness comes from, you know, connection with God. And, and so I think at some point you do have to remove yourself from the idea that it's all about making money or overtime or or, or making the boss look good or anything else. So I like the idea. It, it, it's funny, in the world of psychology, we talk about it as well. I've never used the term quiet quitting, but in terms of mindfulness, and again, it's a little bit of a psychobabbly term, but it's that idea of stepping back. There are so many things right now in life that keep us, quote unquote, engaged. Social media, especially, right? And the whole idea, you know, we're feeling anxious and depressed and we don't even realize it. And so you've right. got to step back. You've got to become aware of just this moment that you're in so that you can begin addressing in a healthy way what matters most. Oh, it's interesting in the Wall Street Journal article on quiet quitting, it talks at a certain point about this man, Mr. Bittinger, and he said that this man essentially learned and this would not be a Gen Z individual. And I think this is what's fascinating about the trend is it's not just Gen Z who started working during a weird time of COVID and working from home and not from home and this back and forth. But a lot of people are saying, no, I like this trend. But Mr. Bittinger said that he's learning to say no more rather than being this yes man, essentially. And he's actually reserving time in the evening for himself and he's not checking email on, vac on vacation which I think is an anomaly uh, to in many ways especially the boomer generation and even in some ways uh, gen x as well today yeah I, I agree completely I, I think the big difference with gen x uh, would say you know you're connecting more with the social media thing and I think all of that from work from social media we have to step back and actually make those real life connections, those person to person connections. I'll never forget, and this, will, this was a while ago, it doesn't really age me, but I, I remember when cell phones really became, everyone had one and I was sitting in a room with a bunch of teenagers and they were sitting around in a circle, all holding their phones, looking down and liking each other's comments and posts and everything else. I said, 
why don't you just look up and like the moment that you're in right now? So it's good, whether it's work or social media, whatever it is, we do have to step back to gain that perspective again. I think that's a really interesting comparison. So what you're saying is, although let's say Gen X and the boomer generation might be overworking and more wrapped up in work, the younger generations are wrapped up in something still. It's social media, so they're still not engaging. So either way, the younger generation is missing out on ultimately what they're looking for with this whole quiet quitting trend. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yes, that is exactly right. You just hit it out of the park. Absolutely. You know, and, and I, I think quite honestly, you know, to say, oh, I'm going to step back from work. Everybody say, oh, yeah, I understand that. But step back, you know, how much pushback do we give one another? Right. What kind of accountability is there for us to say, hey, get off your phones? <laughs> you know, we see families do that during meal times and at nighttime and first thing in the morning. And I think we're losing our way. And that's why we see trends in anxiety and depression going up, especially among the young, the 18 to 24 year olds is crazy. It's off the charts. I've never seen so many young people in my practice as oh. I do today. Yeah. Oh, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts because I know in therapy, one of the big things is, is if you're trying to fix a behavior uh, that is damaging to you, that you need to recognize there's going to be a void and you feel, need to fill that void. So let's say a lot of people, whether it's Gen Z that's doing this quiet quitting or people who are saying, you know what, there's something to this. I don't have enough work-life balance. How do you put that replacement in without something else just filling the void that is just as harmful for our happiness and well-being or lack of work-life balance as well? That's a great question. And I think, you know, you're, you're getting right on target because we do have to have these things. Like, for instance, let's say you're addicted to alcohol. Right. And every day you come home from work at five or seven, whenever it is, and you go for that alcoholic beverage. Right. People say, oh, I need to relax. Well, if you got to the point where you said, oh, wait, this is no longer good or healthy for me. I'm, I'm abusing alcohol or drugs. You got to figure out something to replace that that alcohol with and that time with, you know, you, you've got to come up with a better plan than rather than hanging out with your friends, drinking a cocktail at five, saying, well, maybe I'm going to go for a run. Maybe I'm going to go out and get in nature. Maybe I'm going to go volunteer. You know, you've got to replace that with something positive. So you're right. You know, nature abhors a vacuum. So we can't just quit something. We can't just quit negative thinking. For instance, we have to fill that void with something positive, something good. So there are three things I can think of in that. And I want kind of a really commonplace example of how to do this. So let's say it's the end of the day. It's well past six o'clock, anywhere between six and nine o'clock at night. And there's that pull either to go into that bad habit of social media, email, or might I say the bad replacement for all of that is overconsumption of the news today. What oh, do yeah. you do in that <laughs> instance? And how do you work to recognize those moments? Well, I, I think, again, it's, it's interesting because there's a big fancy word called alexithymia. And basically what that means is an unawareness of actually what we feel. So men are actually more suspect to this, we're given to this, than women. You know, women are better at identifying feelings. So you have to, first of all, become aware of what it is that you're feeling, right? It's like, why am I going to the social media? Why am I consuming news? You know, these, these like media outlets and whatnot, they're designed to draw you in. Breaking news alert, must see TV, the world is on fire. 
And so they really tap into that anxiety that you have. So if you say, wait a second, this isn't good for me. I need to step back. I need to replace it with something else. The best thing that we can do, the best replacement I'd say we can have is our real life connections. So I'd say, hey, from that 6 to 9 p.m. hour, if it's like you're with your family, if you're married, if you're kids, focus on the meal, focus on the conversation, be curious about what's going on in each other's lives and, and just make, a, make a, a, a rule for yourselves. You know, the phones get set down, they get put in a different room, the TV isn't on during mealtimes, you know, and just start finding yourself, you know, more able to tolerate the quiet, to be with one another, to be curious and to have conversations. Did that I answer your question? That. Yeah, I think it helps. I, so you're saying that women are a little more aware of these moments and we're trying to make those changes. So we have to be really self-conscious of it. But I love where you focus on focusing on the present of like, okay, where am I supposed to be? And I think that that's a bigger picture as a culture in general is recognizing where am I supposed to be right now? So, okay, I'm home, but I have a husband and a daughter and I'm for example, in my context, I'm pregnant. So it's late in the evening, you know, spending that quality time with my family, making sure I'm actually getting rest and you're not doing things that I yeah. shouldn't be doing or doing things I shouldn't yeah. be doing. So you're not overdoing it, like recognizing your vocation in the heart of where you're at so that you can thrive. And sometimes that does mean those very practical things, like you said, you know, setting the phones in a pile for me. I know because the phone technology is just so addictive today. I put my phone in a drawer or I literally turn it off or on airplane mode because if I see those notifications, it's just going to distract me and pull my mind and my focus in a different direction. Yes. Yeah, exactly right. And the thing is, you know, a lot of us think that, oh, I can multitask. I can do all these things. I can look at my phone and check my social media. And yes, honey, I'm paying attention to what you're saying right now. But that's actually not true. You know, our functionality, our ability to multitask, when we multitask, our functionality actually goes way down. You know, we're actually not as attentive. So if we step back and just say, you know, let's just say, you know, you're a young mother and say, I'm going to just focus on this moment, you know, with my daughter, or I'm going to just enjoy this conversation with my husband. Focus on one thing at a time. And believe it or not, you'll accomplish a lot more that way as well. I love that. Isn't that something we all need advice on? One thing at a time in the busy, fast-paced culture we're in. That's Joe Secor. And just to be clear, he's saying multitasking isn't really possible. Uh, that's licensed marriage and family therapist Joe Sikora. What's getting in the way of your happiness? Are you struggling? We're going to talk about impediments to happiness, but we want to hear your questions as happiness is a topic that all of us can make bad choices or be trying to work through. So if you have a question for licensed marriage and family therapist Joe Sikora, give us a call. Numbers one eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. So Joe, I want to talk about oh, that's the music. We'll be right back with Joe Sakura here on Trending. So what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
Welcome back to our weekly happy hour every Monday on Trending, talking about what's getting in the way of happiness, what makes us happier. Happy feast day, by the way, of the queenship of our our lady, Mary, as queen of heaven and earth. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a bit, but joining me now is licensed marriage and family therapist, Joe Sakura. You may know him formerly from the show here on Relevant, known as the Joe Sakura Show. You can find him and his work at callingsong.com, and he wrote the book, Define Gravity, How Choosing Joy Lifted My Family from death to life. Joe, we've been talking about this theme of quiet quitting, and I want to come back to it in a moment. Uh, in this theme in Wall Street Journal, everyone's talking about it. It's trending on social media. Gen Z's been uh, kind of setting the trend. They're 25 years old at the oldest. They entered into the workforce during COVID, and people are referring to quiet quitting as this idea of they're there at work, but they're not uh, maybe either one, identifying with their job, in other words, letting their identity be wrapped up in it, or also we'll talk about the work-life balance um, and the ethical question of work. But before we go there, are you struggling with happiness? Is something getting in the way? We're going to talk about impediments to happiness today on Trending, but if you have a question for licensed marriage and family therapist Joe Sikor about your happiness, give us a call, 1-888-914-9149, or you can ask your question on social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, and ask your question now. We have a caller in actually Quebec, Canada. Pedro's on the line. Pedro, welcome to Trending. What's your question for Joe Sikora today? Hey, Timory. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you, Joe, for having my call. Before doing my question, I'd just like to quickly thank you very much, Timory, for being this freshness, joyful, uh, a feminine touch and relevant radio staff. And Josie Corr, it's so nice to hear you on the waves of the radio. You helped me a lot with your show. You both are really meaningful in my peripheral and my Catholic life. And my question would be how to keep uh, concentration in stressful moments. What could be like good techniques to avoid? Yes. Well, thank you for those compliments and thank you for being here with us, part of the Relevant Radio family. So how could we improve our concentration in moments of stress and what are techniques, Joe, for that? Yeah, that's a great question. And again, thank you for those kind words. I would say this. Remember that stress lives between the ears. In other words, it's our perception of what's going on. And for the most part, our stress lives in the future tense. In other words, we are worrying about something that hasn't even happened yet. So a couple of things. One, you have to identify what you can control and what you can't control. So in other words, if you're worrying about something that you can't control, like it are, is, uh, you know, our interest rates going to go higher? <laughs> you know, you can't control that. You're not on the Fed. So you got to let go. You've got to identify those things that you can't control and let go and say, I don't know what's going to happen but I'm not going to worry about that. Now you've got the things that you can control. Like let's say, boy, I've got this giant uh, work project due. It's like, okay, that is something that you can actually do. Most of the stress you feel happens when you're not taking action steps. So once you, and maybe Timber, you experienced this. I remember I did too. I had a giant paper to write in school. When were we most stressed out? before you actually wrote the paper. But (laughs) as soon as you get one sentence down, you know, the the stress starts lowering itself. So a lot of times we we give into hopelessness or helplessness, but we can change that idea by actually just taking steps. I can do this one little thing. 
And, and one more final thing. A lot of times we get stressed out because we're thinking too big picture. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't write that whole proposal. Well, don't think about it like that. Write that one sentence for the proposal. I, I just did this. I, I just finished writing my second book. And I said to myself, looking at my computer, I can't write a book, even though I had written a book pre previously. And I said, Joe, you're right. You can't write a book. But can you write a sentence? Yeah, I can write a sentence. And then I wrote a sentence. I said, well, can you write a paragraph? Yeah, I can write a paragraph. So break things down into smaller steps, and that will help to lower the anxiety. That was a great question. Thank you, Joe. It's so helpful. I especially, I think one thing I just hate, and it causes severe mental anguish for me, you know, in that dramatic phrase that we do, you said, you know, stress happens between the ears, paperwork. I hate paperwork. Um, and it could be taxes, it could be filing things away, and I make it a bigger deal than it is. And once I start it and I actually do it, it, that's when you realize this really wasn't that bad. And so when you said, you know, do what you can control and what you can do, often that stress is because we're not doing something. We're just letting it sit there and marinate in just this huge pot of stress on us rather than getting it off of our backs if it is something we can take care of ourselves. Yes, absolutely. And and I'm with you, like trying to organize. Let's, let's say you, you look at your room and you go, oh my gosh, it's a total wreck. It's a disaster. Chances are, if you're stressed, you're not going to take any steps towards creating organization. But if you say to yourself, okay, this is overwhelming, but I'm going to spend three minutes today organizing my room. You go in and you work for three minutes. That might sound silly. A part of you might say, well, how much am I going to actually accomplish in three minutes? But what you're doing is you're lowering the stress level. So then the next day, if you just say, well, I'm going to spend three to five minutes, you're more likely to go in and spend three to five minutes organizing the room. So maybe at the end of a week or two weeks, you've got an organized room and you've eliminated all the pain associated with that stress. Mm, excellent. By the way, if you're just joining us, I want to send a huge thank you to all of you who have prayed for us here at Relevant Radio and worked with us this last week in our pledge drive. You made donations making it possible for us to do what we do here at Relevant Radio. And it's not too late. If you'd still like to make a tax deductible donation, you can still call 1-877-291-0123 or give online at relevantradio.com or via the Relevant Radio app. Joining me now is Joe Sakura here on Trending with Tim Ray. We're going to talk about impediments to our happiness in just a moment. But before we go there, we're talking about this theme of quiet quitting. This theme coming from Gen Z and permeating into the other generations in the workplace today. The Wall Street Journal, everywhere is covering it. Tons of views on TikTok videos. They're trending in the millions of views per one on this theme of quiet quitting. This idea that you're there, you're working your job, but you might be a little quieter. You might not necessarily be brown nosing, overworking, putting in extra hours, but also there's hopefully that work-life balance. The goal, the good version of it would be work-life balance, but I'm also seeing, Joe, some of the trend toward 
apathy, but also I think getting into some ethical questions of putting in a full day's work. And I'd like to dive into this one example of Paige West. She's 24, so she's Gen Z. And she talks about how at a certain point in her work environment, she stopped overextending herself as the position she was in in Washington, D.C. was leading to such severe stress. She was losing hair. It was falling out. She couldn't sleep at night. So she started looking for a new job. In the midst of that, she started to no longer work beyond 40 hours a week, didn't sign up for any extra training with the company or for what she was doing, and she stopped trying to socialize with colleagues. What are your thoughts initially on this example? I think it's a, I, I think it's a great example. I remember back when I was a police officer, very, very stressful job. And, you know, a lot of times you, you, you couldn't tell your boss, hey, I, I'm going to knock off early tonight or I'm going to get off work on time. A lot of times that was out of your control. Uh, it, but I would say this. I made a conscious choice to actually have a very rich life outside of work because otherwise you just fall into the darkness. And so for me, I'd say, OK, this is what I'm doing. And, and I'm going to actually shape my experience of what I'm doing. Believe it or not, I, I thought this. I thought okay, I'm not just serving the city here that I work for or this person. I'm serving the Lord in what I do. And so I think that no matter what we do, whether you've got a radio show like you or you're an accountant or you're a cop, think about what you do with serving God himself. I think that lowers the stress. And then say, I'm going to have a rich life outside of my work life. So having real healthy boundaries, that would be the word that I use as a therapist. It's like, okay, this is work. I give myself to work. I do a good job. I can feel good about it. But then after work, I'm going to associate with people who are very different than my work colleagues, you know, whoever that is, and, and really give yourself and developing those relationships outside of work. So that would be my take. Interesting. So I think that there's this trend and it's a whole nother topic, but it does touch on that trend of a lot of people disassociating themselves from their colleagues, keeping their heads down. So I think that important understanding of seeing that wherever you're at in the workplace, it's a part of the mission God's called you to. And we shouldn't, as Christians, we have a responsibility to not just disassociate with the people we're interacting with. I have another question on this because I see there's an ethical question, I think, permeating in this quiet quitting attitude. For some, it's a really good example of putting up boundaries, letting work be your work, and living uh, that you work to live, that you don't live to work, that we have that right focus that our life doesn't center around work. But I think there's an ethical question of putting in a full day's work where I think some people were hearing this quiet quitting theme are also kind of putzing through the day. They're getting their job done. Uh, they're not going over and beyond. Uh, maybe they're trying to move a little slower because they're determining what they think is enough for the job that they've been hired to do. Where do you think there's an ethical risk in this quiet quitting approach? That's a great question. And while you were saying that, it, it, appeared, uh, it occurred to me, <laughs> Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter two, um, uh, well, wait a second, was it Philippians? He, I'll, I'll think of it in a second. But what he said is, he said, servants, right? He was talking to people who were slaves. There can't get a, be a much worse job than that. <laughs> what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a slave. Wow. But what Paul said is, he said, do everything for God. You, you got to work for your real master. So I think that changes everything. I think then, again, if you're a teacher or 
whatever it is you do, if you recognize that you're working for God, then there is an accountability. You know, then you're not going to just say, well, I'm just going to do this shoddy work or anything like that. And the whole idea with quiet quitting, again, it's kind of new to me. I haven't looked at that or anything like that, but is, okay, you're going to do what? Less work for your boss, but what are you going to do with that time that you're given them? Are you just going to be on social media? Is that a, a better answer to your stress, to your life? You know, so I think doing everything for the glory of God, no matter what you do, would be the best place to start, to put it in perspective. You made me think, too, of St. Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, his second letter in chapter 3, where he was talking about work ethic. And he basically said, if anyone will not work, then let him not eat. And I yeah. think that's a good example, too, of I think there's a natural sense of culpability that we do have, where if you're not putting in the amount of work you should be putting in, your conscience is going to be pricked. And you're going to feel... Like you're always suspect to the people around you, uh, that there's something wrong. Someone's kind of peeking over your shoulder. I think there's that natural God-given set of accountability when it comes to our work ethic as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's a great point. And, uh, you know, I, I think, again, you shall know them by their love, right? People should be able to look at Christians, those of us, and say, wow, they're kind of a group set apart. Now, frequently, <laughs> we're not, right? We're sinners just like everybody else. But people should look at us and say, wow, they work ethically at work. They are joyful. They are happy. They serve. They love one another. You know, and, and then that prompts the question, why are you like that, Timory? Why are you so joyful? And then you can say, well, it's my faith. I have this faith, this belief, and, and this forms who I am and what I do and everything else. So I think that includes work, too. We should look at our work and say, are we doing the best? Are we working for our real master, which is God in heaven? Okay, on that theme, because another thought came up to me, Joe, and especially with this trend during COVID, a lot of people are working remotely who had never worked remotely before. Some are sticking with that or some are quitting their jobs because they'd rather have a remote job. And I've worked remote the majority of my career as an adult and even, you know, in college and in high school, a lot of the time I was working, I was working remotely. And I always found it fascinating to see how much more productive you are with the time that you have when you're not in the office, at least for me. And I I think a lot of people have spoken to that, that, you know, the water cooler conversations, you know, the the back and forth chatting in the office, the lunch breaks, a lot of the socializing that really can decrease productivity is true. But also, so there's that on one side that people have said, I'm more productive at home in less time. And then there's an other side saying, well, actually, I like a little bit more work-life balance. I have a family. I have children. I have other vocations that are more important. And so maybe they're doing a little less work, but still getting the job done. I know that gets into complicated waters, but where are your thoughts with a lot of people who I think are feeling this discomfort of, is that okay? I'm still getting my job done, but I recognize I'm not wasting the time that I used to waste in the office. Yeah, I think it's not a clear answer. It's funny. I have a, a good friend of mine who's a very successful businessman and he has hundreds of employees. And I, you know, they all went remote during that. And I, and I asked him, I said, Dave, how are things going work-wise with everybody working remote? He goes, oh, fantastic. We, we have less HR problems. People are really productive. I think the flip side of that is we really are social creatures as well. So if you're going to work remote, I would say, well, make sure when you're done with work, don't just sit down and binge watch your favorite TV show. 
get out, make those connections, you know, be with your family, be with your friends, go do something social. Because if we just isolate, that actually sort of paves the road towards greater anxiety. And again, we are seeing higher rates of anxiety, especially among the young. So the question I ask myself is, is it because we're working in a more isolated fashion and we're not making those social connections? I'm not positive, but I think that has something to do with it. Interesting. And coming from a homeschool kid, I homeschooled all the way through my education. Everyone makes fun of homeschoolers because we're so unsocialized and awkward. We don't spend time with anyone ever, right? Uh, that kind of common <laughs> myth of an idea. Um, but it's interesting because I know for me, you know, I danced. I did a lot of extracurricular activities. I had a social network. My social network just didn't happen to have to be school. And, you know, my his social network was I had a family, you know, I was around my family, my extended family. Um, I had, you know, dance exposure and I was exposed to a lot more adults, I would argue, than many um, young people are exposed to and could maybe carry conversations with adults that just were different than conversations many people who are homeschooled have. So I think it's interesting kind of some of these dynamics where you see like people assume this social isolation can be bad, for example, homeschooling or working remotely, but in reality, it's a matter of how we properly orient ourselves into the community based on the fact that you're saying we're social creatures. Yeah, I, I agree. And you, you said it, you know, you were homeschooled, but you had all these extracurricular activities. So it was very focused. It's like you studied, you were taught by your parents, but then you got together with friends or you had other social activities. So I, you know, I have never seen, and again, like I said, I, I've never worked with so many young people in my career as a therapist, but the homeschoolers I see, hey, they are very well adjusted. They might be dealing with things like we all do, but I haven't seen anything that I said, oh, wow, this homeschooling is really bad. <laughs> if anything, I go, boy, I get it. You know, I, I think it's great. My hat's off to all the parents who are saying, yeah, we're going to homeschool our kids. <laughs> It's like fantastic, you know, because the education, the opportunities are huge. Okay, I want to come back talking about impediments to happiness. That's licensed marriage and family therapist Joe Secor. You can find him at callingsong.com. His book, Defying Gravity, How to Choose Joy or How Choosing Joy Lifted My Family from Death to Life is available now. You can catch it. We'll post a link on social media as well as in the podcast notes. But if you're struggling with happiness or something getting in the way, give us a call. The number is 1-888-914-9149. Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist Joe Secor will be happy to take your questions. And we'll be coming back talking about impediments to our happiness. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to our weekly happy hour today on Trending. Are you struggling with happiness? Would love to take your questions. Licensed marriage and family therapist Joe Secor is here. You know him from the show here on Relevant Radio that used to air the Joe Secora show. You can find him at callingsung.com and also his book Defying Gravity is available. We'll post a link on social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, where we've also tagged Joe Secora as well if you want to follow him online. Joe, let's talk about impediments to happiness and how there are so many things, simple as well as big, that get, get in the way of just our day-to-day, moment-to-moment 
good feelings, a good pursuit, or even just pursuits of God as a whole? Yeah. Okay. There's, I could rattle off a whole bunch, but let's focus on a few simple things that you can do right now. First of all, and you reminded me of this, Timory, when you said, oh, in Joe's book, Defying Gravity, how choosing joy, right, lifted my family from death to life. A lot of times we don't realize that we are not making choices that will lead us to happiness. And you really can do a lot to actually create happiness. It doesn't just show up. It has to do with your focus. It has to do with the activities you engage in and everything else. So a lot of times, you know, again, social media, what's, why does that make us unhappy? How, did, how is that an impediment to our happiness? Well, because you're always looking at all those wonderful photos and posts and you're looking at your own life saying, oh, wow, I don't quite measure up. <laughs> so I'd say that would be the first thing to do is like check that social media time. Stop making those comparisons. Remember, Paul speaks about it in Corinthians. He talks about the body of Christ. You know, one is the head, one is the eye, one is the arm. We're not meant to compare ourselves with one another. So that would be the first thing that I would say. The second thing, and then I'll let you comment on this, is if you're unhappy, the biggest impediment to your happiness might be you're talking too much about what is wrong. A lot of times we focus exclusively, and I say this about bad uh, therapy. Bad therapy is constantly talking about the problem, the problem, the problem. If you find yourself complaining constantly, you will not be happy. It's impossible. You just can't complain your way into happiness. But if you actually stop and say, well, wait, what are some of the things that I can do to be happier? Oh, I can connect with other people. I can go out and play. I, I can go out and serve other people. I can learn a new skill. You know, we have to push ourselves. We have to get beyond our comfort zone. And when we do that, then we actually begin to feel really good about ourselves. So I just toss those out. <laughs> you know, the right last away. one, you know, the last one really speaks to me because I think this has been a challenge for my husband and I. We moved a year and a half ago with a one and a half month old, our first child to the Midwest from our whole family network, our friends, our beautiful California that I was born and raised in. And yeah. to the Midwest, it has been a shock, I will say to this day. And making friendships has been challenging. Um, the weather from the humidity to the long, cold winters, there have been so many things. And it's easy for us to talk about, oh, gosh, we can't even find good food that we like, you know, being stuck up California. Yeah. And so I could go on and on. But <laughs> what you know, we kind of hit this point where like, yes, we want to and we're trying to move back all in God's timing. But at the same time, you can completely or we have completely at times, I think, prevented ourselves from seeing the abundance of gifts God's given us here. And really, even though it's hard to make those friendships, like forcing, pushing some friendships to happen, taking solace in our marriage that we have. And yes, there's this isolation, but you know, fostering that marriage and that relationship, there are so many things to focus on that are good, that are difficult, but that we could just be obsessed with the idea of being back in California and completely miss for whatever reason why God has put us right where he has today. Yes, my that, that's a great, great way to put it. My favorite example, and I speak about this as a therapist, with those who come to see me who are Catholic or Christian, is Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 4. When you look at the Apostle Paul's life, it was brutal. I mean, he was beaten and left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. He, he, he was starved. He, I mean, he had a brutal existence. 
But in Philippians chapter 4, he says a couple of things, and I'll just paraphrase it. He said, whatever is true or noble or beautiful or the things to praise, focus on these things. And a real impediment to our happiness is our focus. You know, Paul could have focused on all of the brutalities that he had suffered, all of the iniquities he had suffered, and nobody could really say, hey, Paul, come on, <laughs> lay off it. They were legitimate, but he focused right. on all of the good. And psychologically speaking, again, that's something that we can do. We can either choose to see what is good, the blessings right around us, or we can focus on what we lack. Mm -hmm. That is going to lead us to greater despair. But if we focus and see what is good, the blessings in our life, uh, that will lead us to happiness. And that comes back to the whole theme and the title of your book, Defying Gravity, that choosing joy. How do you do that? I love that paraphrasing of Philippians, whatever's true, whatever is beautiful, whatever is noble. That's yeah. what we should be praising and speaking about. And it's a challenge to us. Like, what do we talk about every day? You know, the idea of talk about ideas, not people. We'll also talk about good, you know, things that we're experiencing in life, not that which we are missing or don't have or always talk about what we want, but what we right. actually have and that whole attitude of gratitude. Joe, what else is getting in the way of our happiness? Because I think there are so many things simple in the day-to-day -day that just leave us floundering in those moments. Yeah, I think another thing is I like to talk about this in every great story, every great story, whether it's Star Wars or a great novel that you've read, whatever it is, you have three main characters. You've got a hero, you've got a victim, and you've got a villain. The truth is we should all strive to be the hero of our story. But so often we give in and see ourselves as the victim. And you can recognize this by how you talk about your life. It's like, oh, the boss hates me. Oh, the stock market conspired today to make me broke, whatever it is. We, we get into this victim mentality and it actually leads to despair. You know, we think, oh, life is so outside of my control. I can't do anything. I'm just a victim. And it's just not true. You can be the hero of your story by actually taking steps to engage in the struggle and say, okay, I got fired from my job today. But you know what? Starting tonight, I'm going to look for other jobs. And as soon as we find ourselves actually taking these steps, then you become heroic. Then when you take those steps, you can actually feel good about yourself. So moving out of that victimhood, I think, is really huge. I think that's a fantastic example that we need to transition into because that victimhood is so common for so many people, especially in the 21st century, the pessimistic news cycle that we're in. Another area where I see a lot of people struggling, Joe, is this idea of languishing. Over the last couple of years, I've seen a lot of articles on the topic. And I think sometimes we get confused with, you know, kind of what, what we consider to be languishing, but kind of that's the whole idea of just being stuck, I would argue, in a rut. And maybe you can clarify your thoughts too, but just not really making a progress, not really being successful. I think a lot of uh, millennials have felt this for a long time, and many people over the last few years have as well. Right. Well, the clinical term for it is learned helplessness. And, and <laughs> the truth is, you know, the truth is, we can actually get comfortable in our anxiety, we can get comfortable in our depression or in our despair. 
you know, the, the reality is we, we crave what is comfortable and sometimes even our misery, we can build a certain relationship with it where it feels comfortable. And, and so I think we have to recognize this. The brain has what's called a negativity bias. I know I'm throwing out all these terms, but if you're always seeing what's wrong, there's a reason for it. If we had more time, I could go in and explain why it is. It's not all bad, but it can be bad. We have to recognize that there's a certain part of our brain that's going to focus in naturally on what is wrong in our life. And, and so, you know, we can kind of just give into that despair. But if we choose to focus, if we choose to shift that focus, if we stop complaining and focus on taking small steps, and again, that's very important that we do that because you might say, oh my gosh, I'm broke. I can't, there's nothing I can do. I'm going to lose my house and everything else. Well, you know, the big steps you might not see, you know, they might not be made available. But if you can start saying, okay, you know what, we're going to cut back on groceries a little bit. Or I'm going to go out and I'm going to make a few dollars here or a few dollars there. When you start taking those steps, when you stop complaining and take action steps, that actually starts to feel better. And we stop that languishing. Again, you know, it's that, that a body in motion stays in motion. A body at rest stays at rest. So if you're languishing, chances are you've got to really push against that to create that energy to start making the changes in your life. Joe, this is a big topic we're going to have to talk more about in the future. But just a quick yeah. question. You talk about how our brain, part of our brain naturally focuses on what is negative and wrong. And mm -hmm. I'm sure others are thinking the same thing. Well, God created the brain and obviously he created our brain to focus in part on what is wrong with our lives and the world. Yep. Can you connect where you see God working through that? Is it our conscience kicking in? Is that part of conscience? Why would God allow and have that development of the brain to focus on the negative? And what is he calling us, would you say, to with that natural function of the brain? Well, it actually, it actually kept us alive <laughs> for a long time. Think about before we lived in houses with walls and locks and gates and all of that stuff. Where did we live? We lived out on the savanna, out, out in the open. And so let's just say you're there with your crew, <laughs> your tribe of people, and all of a sudden you hear something or you see something just up and over the hill. And it's that saber-toothed tiger, right? The brain was meant to focus in on that threat for a good reason. What's the reason? To keep you alive. So you and your tribesmen, you got together, you got your spears, you developed a plan to go to do battle with that saber-toothed tiger. But now the problem is, is because people, you know, especially involved in media and social media, not relevant radio, of course, but, but other people, they capitalize on that. And they know that if they present and show enough bad mood, uh, bad things going on, that that naturally attracts us, that, that, that vies very powerfully for our attention. So again, going back to Paul, that's why I say we've got to be very conscious about where we're putting our focus and saying, wait a second, I'm seeing what is wrong in people and in things and in the world. I'm going to choose to see what is right and good. And I think we've got to begin doing that by seeing one another right? is like the other the people that we disagree with. Spouses do this. They're fighting all the time, right? A couple comes in and they're fighting. And I might ask them the question. It's like, well, tell me something good about your spouse. 
and they sort of hem and haw. It's like, well, I don't know. Yeah, I guess he can be nice. Okay, and, and you, fine young lady, tell me something good about your husband. Well, you know, he can be kind. And then they start doing this, and it changes their focus. They move from feeling threats to one another, you know, seeing the worst in one another, to seeing what is good. So we really have to be proactive and actually try to see what is good and right and beautiful, just like Paul says. That's Joe Sikora here on Relevant Radio. Joe, thank you so much for joining us with your keen insights into the topics of what's getting in the way of our happiness and how to change it. Check out his book, Define Gravity, How Choosing Joy Lifted My Family from Death to Life. You can find him at callingsong.com. Posted links on social media as well as in the podcast notes for today's show. And spread the happiness. Share this podcast with someone you know who could use it. Just text a link to the episode to someone who needs it. All episodes are available at the end of the day. And you can catch us wherever you catch your podcasts. Thank you so much if you have supported us over the last week here at Relevant Radio in our pledge drive. We were able to meet our need here at Relevant Radio of $3 million, so thank you so much. We still have a ton of things that we're working on, new projects, expanding into new uh, radio networks, so if you're still able to support us, maybe you haven't donated yet, please give us a call. It's not too late, one 877 to take to make your tax-deductible donation. You can also donate online. It's easy, relevantradio.com or the Relevant Radio app. Today is the Queenship of Mary, the Feast of Our Lady, being proclaimed as Queen of Heaven and Earth. You may not know this, but it wasn't until more recently, really the last 70 years, that the church clarified and upheld this teaching of Our Lady as Queen of Heaven and Earth. Pope Pius Twelfth in the papal encyclical uh, on the topic of proclaiming Mary as Queen of Heaven and Earth. It's a beautiful encyclical. I'll post a link to it on social media. Um, I believe if I'm saying it correctly in Latin, it's ad celi reginum, which means, again, that Our Lady is Queen, Queen of Heaven and Earth. It's a beautiful document. I was reading it this afternoon. It's short. I know a lot of papal encyclicals tend to be run on the long side, but this one's something that you could read in 30 minutes to an hour and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy. But what this document does in talking about Our Lady's Queen of Heaven and Earth goes back to how this has been part of the living tradition for years in the church of what the church has upheld from the time of after Our Lady and Our Lady's death through the early church all the way till today. And one of my favorite quotes that's pulled from Pope Pius XII's encyclical on the Queenship of Mary is from St. Alphonsus Liguori. You know, I love St. Alphonsus. And he talks about the Virgin Mary and how she was raised, he says, to such a lofty dignity as to be the mother of the King of Kings. It is deservedly so, and by every right, that the church has honored her with the title as queen, and this is what you and I are celebrating today. There's an ancient hymn that comes from the East that sings out, O Mother of God, today thou art carried into heaven on the chariots of the cherubim, and the seraphim wait upon thee, and the ranks of the heavenly army bow before thee. St. Anselm has said, just as Christ, because he redeemed us as our Lord and King by a special title, so the Blessed Virgin also is our Queen on account of the unique manner in which she assisted in our redemption by giving of her own substance, by freely offering him for us 
by her singular desire and petition for an active interest in our salvation. So today, take Our Lady as Queen of our lives, Director of everything we do. Our Lady, Queen of Heaven and Earth, pray for us.